Casey's 94.3 WRHD-FM, Farmville, Washington, Greenville. Broadcasting to the Pirate Nation and beyond at 943thegame.com. Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 943thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into the program. It is Wednesday, May 24th, a very exciting edition of Voice the Colors to bring you. We've got two great guests. We've got Anthony Broom from TheWolverine.com who will join us as we take an early look at ECU Michigan. We're going to start our opponent previews here on Voice the Colors on 94.3 The Game for the upcoming football season. We also have an in-depth chat with American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco, who uh, joined us yesterday, and we didn't know if we could get the interview in or not due to, obviously, the game, the ECU baseball game starting, and that ended up starting just uh, shortly after we took the air, and the interview is about 30 minutes long, so we're going to have that for you uh, later uh, in this program. We'll talk to Anthony here shortly about the upcoming game against Michigan. Just wanted to talk first about the baseball game, of course. Last night, uh, or yesterday afternoon, just uh, – a really pretty stunning loss for East Carolina baseball. And uh, several thoughts on it. A, the, the season's not over. The Pirates get to turn around. They get to play today at 3 o'clock against Cincinnati in an elimination game. And even if they lose today, they will still play postseason baseball next week. And I just want to remind folks that the one time ECU did win a road regional at Virginia in 2016, they did go 0-2 in that specific conference tournament. So, yeah, the sky might be falling uh, as of last night, but the, the sun did come up. It is a new day. We'll see what happens again. Scheduled first pitch, 3 o'clock. We'll have that on 94-3, the game, here later this afternoon. And uh, Scott Rogers will be on the call. There is some weather in the Clearwater area, and uh, we'll see You know, if, the, if they get the game in on time. Florida weather can be very tricky, so we'll we'll keep you updated there. Um, but just overall, just hard to believe kind of what unfolded in the eighth and, and ninth inning. Nine to three lead for East Carolina, and it just seemed like we were all looking ahead to Thursday. And got to give South Florida credit. I saw some people call it a collapse, and in some ways it was, but it's not like EC was out there walking and hitting a bunch of guys. South Florida was just hitting the ball all over the ballpark and doing it against East Carolina's best relievers. So we'll see if the Pirates can regroup again today. 3 o'clock will be the start time for that game against Cincinnati in the American Athletic Conference Tournament. But we're going to talk some football to lead this show, and we're going to do it with a uh, friend of mine, a former colleague of mine. I'm told he's on hold, so we're going to head out to the phone line. Welcome in Anthony Broom of TheWolverine.com. He covers Michigan. Of course, September 2nd, we've got East Carolina at Michigan for the first time ever in football. And, Anthony, good to uh, good to talk with you again, man. Yeah, it's great to reconnect. I appreciate you thinking about me. Uh, listen, I'm not going to sit here and wish my summer away, but the fact that we're going to sit here and talk about that opener today, um, I'm excited, man. Like it's, um, you know, like I said, not going to wish away the next few months, but football is, you know, all those football preview magazines are starting to hit the newsstands. Uh, we're working on ours right now. So, uh, just fired up to, to be here chatting ball. 
Yeah, yeah. Before we get into this matchup specifically, I do want to kind of pick your brain about just what it's like to take in a game at the big house and all that because every ECU fan I talk to says they're going on the trip. I don't know if they're actually going, but they at least uh, they at least act like they are. So we'll get into all that. But let's first uh, educate our audience on, on your background, Anthony, how you started covering Michigan. You know, me and you, for those who are unaware, we used to actually both cover the NFL for 24-7 sports. I wrote about the Panthers, and you covered some other teams as well. Uh, that was a fun time earlier in our sports career, and it's awesome to see you at On3 now with a great company covering Michigan. So run us through your background and how you got to cover the Wolverines. Yeah, no, those were those were great times uh, working on the team with you. That was actually my first job uh, after graduating. I went to uh, – graduated from Central Michigan University, so I'm a – I'm a Maction guy uh, by trade, but, um, yeah, I started writing Michigan for the SB Nation site, Maze and Brew, back when I was at Central Michigan, just kind of as a way to get get some stuff, uh, some, some writing samples out there, a way to get some reps in the industry, and, you know, one thing led to another. I wound up working for that site for eight years and, and uh, ran the site for uh, about I want to say six or seven years, so that that site kind of became my baby in conjunction with you know the work that we were doing on that NFL team at twenty four seven. But um, yeah, a couple of falls ago, I think it was the fall about halfway through the twenty twenty one season, uh, I got the call from on three and and the Wolverine dot com offered me a spot on staff, and uh, I've kind of just been getting, been rocking it out with those guys ever since. So. I have wore a lot of different hats. I think I covered maybe four or five NFL teams uh, in the time that we worked together, uh, just in, in different capacities. But uh, to be uh, to have had a voice in, in our market as long as as I have with the Michigan stuff, both with the SB Nation site and now over at the Wolverine, it's uh, it's been a blessing for sure. A lot of hard work to get there, but uh, yeah, this would be football season number this would be football season number ten for me overall covering this team, and obviously that stretches throughout the entirety of the Jim Harbaugh era, too. So I've seen a little bit of everything at this point. Yeah, I want to talk about the, the Jim Harbaugh stuff because just, just from the outside looking in, I mean, clearly one of the best coaches in football, whether it's pro or college, but he just seems like such a an interesting character. What is it like trying to, I don't know, is he, is he good with the media? Is it, you know, like trying to pull teeth at times? And, and we can get into some of the NFL stuff every offseason, but what's it like uh, trying to work with Jim Harbaugh as far as uh, a media perspective? Yeah, well, he is he is nothing if not unapologetically himself, and that can be that can be great. You know, he's uh, always makes an interesting quote or a metaphor or a Harbaugh-ism, if you will. Um but yeah, things can be a little bit locked down in terms of football stuff. I mean, I know, uh, you know, anyone who's, who's been around the sport or cover the sport knows that a lot of times when these coaches talk to media, you know, they guard information like it's, like it's nuclear launch codes. And, and Harbaugh is definitely a guy who, who falls under that category. Um, again, you know, it's, it's always, it just seems like there's always something. And, and it's not even like, it's not necessarily controversy, but uh, especially in those early days, you know, he was just always, He's always in the headlines. You know, he would do the satellite camp through, through SEC country. And, you know, he had a Twitter account and, you know, would fire off his, his tweets and all those types of things. But um, things have definitely calmed down with him the last few years outside of the, you know, the the fervor around potentially going back to the NFL, though I'd argue that that's more of a media and backdoor 
channels creation that is Jim Harbaugh himself. But yeah, he is, uh, he is one of one. He's a completely unique guy. I've never, uh, encountered anyone like him. I doubt that I will ever encounter anyone else like him, uh, whether it be personally or, uh, in a professional capacity. But he is, uh, you know, this aura, he, he just has like this aura and a presence about him where, you know, you, you know immediately when that guy steps into the room. And I think that, you know, that could be a detriment to him at times, but a lot of times, especially when um, it pertains to the football side of things, I just think he's, uh, you know, I think he is, he is by and large the, the rising tide that has lifted that program and, um, you know, has, a, has an uncanny ability to, to find and identify, you know, up and coming young assistant coaches. I think right now he probably has the best assistant coaching staff he's ever had at Michigan. So, uh, Things can be frenetic, but they're frenetic and stable at the same time. It's a really interesting dynamic. We're visiting with Anthony Broom. He covers Michigan for own three, the Wolverine.com. And Anthony, uh, back-to-back playoff appearances for Jim Harbaugh's team after a two-and-four season during the COVID year, which was just a weird year for for everybody. But when you look at the last two years, and I know that making the playoffs was a goal. It had to be disappointing for them, at least, to, to lose the the TCU game last year. They were fairly heavy favorites, I know. Uh, how do you kind of handicap that situation? And like, are, are the fans still thrilled with Harbaugh? Are they upset that he didn't, you know, make the championship game or, or hasn't won a championship yet? And clearly, expectations are always extremely high there. But where do you feel like the the expectations fall right now, and how has he lived up to those? Yeah, the. The expectations and just how everything's viewed has, has changed, you know, changed so rapidly between that COVID season and what, what's happened in the last two years. Um, you know, there were, there was a very loud portion of fans and uh, some media people who thought maybe after the COVID year that it was time to kind of move on. It had been six years and they weren't any closer to beating Ohio State. They weren't any closer to winning a Big Ten title. But these last two years, I think that, you know, First and foremost, that TCU game, um, I don't think anyone's happy with that. Um, now, as time, time heals all wounds, obviously, but, you know, Michigan comes into that game undefeated, and they play their worst game of the season and still kind of have a chance to win it late by this, you know, furious comeback that they make. And, you know, that was a missed opportunity. And I think for them, I think that's kind of served as fuel heading into this season because you have a lot of those guys, you know, most of those guys coming back. I mean, they they sent nine guys to the NFL draft, but the biggest storyline with the draft for Michigan was all the guys that could have gone that didn't. So uh, for them, you know, it's I think that serves as a big motivating factor. I think the fan base, you know, given that the last two years, you know, 2021, you beat Ohio State for the first time. And last season, you go to Ohio State and win for the first time since the year 2000. You've won back-to-back Big Ten titles. And those are those are heights that they hadn't experienced under Jim Harbaugh or anyone else. Since, uh, since 2004. So I think that satiated a lot of the frustrations over how the postseason has gone the last few years. Now, that's kind of the elephant in the room now. You've, you've built yourself all the way back, and, but you haven't been able to get over that hump and compete for, you know, compete in bowl games. I mean, they, they won a bowl, they won Jim Harbaugh's first bowl game in 2015 and haven't won one since, uh, whether it be, you know, just the regular bowls or the, the college football playoffs. So, that's kind of the next narrative that needs to be checked off. And when you have a team as, as loaded, as a lot of positions as they are, as talented as they are, as uh, you know, the expectations that they have, 
for them to, you know, if they get to the playoff this year and let's just say they don't win that first semifinal game again, it's going to get a little bit, I won't say heated, but you start to wonder if you've kind of capped yourself off at what your potential is. And um, I think that's kind of the lingering conversation behind the scenes. But right now, I think the narrative is just that you know, 25 and three over the last two years, you're, you have a great shot to run it back again, win another Big Ten title, beat Ohio State, get back to the college football playoff. Um, I think there's a lot more excitement over the possibility of that than, you know, kind of dwelling on how the last two years have gone because it comes from the perspective that the six years that preceded 2021 uh, were just so up and down. We're visiting with Anthony Broom, who covers Michigan, and of course, East Carolina will be the opening opponent. Michigan is paying ECU a cool $1.8 million, and typically they're going to be big favorites in a bye game, and obviously they are big favorites. I don't think anybody on ECU side expected Michigan to be as good as they are now when they scheduled this game, but still, you know, clearly, I think the, the first line came out at 36 and a half, and ECU, if this was the last two years, maybe that number's a little lower, but they're replacing a ton of production on both sides of the ball after back-to-back bowl seasons. But what's kind of the, I don't know, is there any excitement on Michigan's end welcoming East Carolina to town? I'm sure, you know, it's not the marquee non-conference opponent, but maybe a little bit better than some of the other opening opponents Michigan has had in recent years as far as non-conference play. Yeah, I mean, last year Michigan was kind of land-based for his non-conference schedule. Um, It played – uh, Colorado State, UConn, and Hawaii, and that's, you know, no one's going to sit here and and sell to you that that was a murderer's row by any stretch. So I think inherently the non-conference slate for this year should be uh, a little more competitive. I, I think the buzz with that game right now, and um, again, I don't know if I'm breaking news here or if you guys have heard it at all, but uh, there is a little bit of buzz for people that we've talked to that that opening game could be a night game, and there's always excitement for that, um, especially in you know, the state of Michigan. Uh, could be one of those last weekends that we have kind of nice, uh, you know, picturesque weather, uh, up here for that. So, I mean, that's, that's where the excitement is right now. I think a lot of it too is, uh, you know, just the excitement for the season in general. I mean, um, you know, East Carolina is a team that we, you know, Michigan hasn't seen before at the big house. There's always intrigue in that. It's, there's a little more juice to it than if you just brought, you know, a, a Western Michigan in or, a, you know, one of the directional max schools or something like that. So given that it's a different, you know, different opponent, um, different jerseys, different helmets, uh, something we haven't seen before. And the fact that it could potentially be under the lights is, uh, is something that a lot of people are, are kind of fired up about around here. So, um, for that, I mean, that's, that's where the juice comes from that perspective. I mean, I know people are going to look at those Vegas lines and go, well, there's, there's, there's just nothing here, but anytime you get to see, an opponent you haven't seen before in potentially a, a, a late afternoon or, or night game atmosphere. It's your first look at the team uh, that you're going to field for the, the 2023 season. I think there's, there is a lot of excitement for that. And obviously it's no secret that, you know, Appalachian State had the upset of the centuries years ago. They're another in-state school that, you know, East Carolina is competing against now. They were at a, uh, even a lower level when they pulled that upset. I don't know if, there's any parallels to draw from there or not with another North Carolina school coming to the big house to open up the season. But is that game still talked about as much as it, as it is uh, maybe in other parts of the country up in uh, Ann Arbor? No, it seems like everyone else always wants to talk about it. But people in Ann Arbor are just, you know, kind of put your hands over your ears like the ear, the ear must deal and 
Um, you know, every time there's a season opener, it's on college game day, or every time there's some kind of upset with another team that maybe loses to an FCS, that game gets brought up. So it, it's kind of there, and there is, I'll give you one interesting parallel, because, I mean, I can't sit here and say that, um, that that just something that's on the table for this game this fall, but the last time Michigan kind of had an expectation similar to what, um, to what we're going to see this season where you're running it back with a lot of guys from a team that was loaded the year before was that 2007 season. And, you know, you come out right off the bat, they lose to Appalachian State, they get smacked around by Oregon the week after that. And, you know, by the time the season's over, they've recouped a little bit of momentum, but uh, they went nine and four. So, you know, if you want to, from a Michigan fan perspective, I've seen some people kind of mention that, hey, let's tap the brakes on the hype a little bit because we've seen this happen before. So, uh, yes, it does come up. Um, there are a lot of people just mentioning, you know, the Mountaineers or Appalachian State. You know, they start to get the shakes a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, you would you would think that time would heal all wounds. But, you know, sit, sitting here 15, 15 years later, it's still um, – that's still the low point. And, and there were a lot of low points that came after that. So that's saying a lot. The big house will be the venue for the game on September 2nd. And, for East Carolina fans making the trip, what, any recommendations on what to try and experience on game day? I, I'm, I'm planning to go myself, looking forward to it. I've never been. So what could you recommend? Uh, and I know that some hotel rooms are getting booked up quickly, obviously, in the area. So, like, is there a spot to stay outside of town? Should people try and stay in Detroit? Do, do you kind of have any any idea what you would recommend ECU fans making the trip as far as those things? Yeah, first and foremost, I would definitely say get yourself in the night before. Check out downtown Ann Arbor, kind of unencumbered by the game day atmosphere. Because it is, I think, you know, again, biased because I you know, spend a lot of time there. But it's one of the better college towns in the U.S. So definitely get in there and be able to stoke, uh, stoke that up. Um, if you can't find yourself a whole hotel room in Ann Arbor, um, look around uh, Detroit Metro Airport. That's probably about a 25 to 30 minute drive or, or Uber, whatever it is from there. But, um, it seems like when I, when I know people that come into town, that's kind of where they, they tend to stay. I live nearby there. I'd love to put you up. I don't have the room for the thousands of, uh, ECU fans that probably come into town. But, um, yeah, I mean, game, game day atmosphere wise, um, definitely you want to check out the tailgate at either the, a pioneer high school across the street. Or on the U of M golf course. Again, it's all weather permitting, but, um, you know, part of me hopes that it is a night game because if you're able to come in for that, um, those tailgate lots will open at like noon or something. So you kind of get to have that whole day, uh, on the golf course or at the high school across the street. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just one of the iconic venues and atmospheres in college sports. Get into the stadium early, watch all the stuff with the band on the field and, and all that. It's, uh, it's really awesome. So, I mean, if, if, if any of, any of you guys are considering coming out or on the fence about it, um, you know, I can't sit here and say it's a bucket list thing to do because I don't know what your priorities are, but it's definitely, definitely consider making the trip because it, it, it's a good time. And, uh, like I said, one of those picturesque kind of college football environments. Last thing for you, Anthony, before we let you go and, Obviously, Michigan's going to be a top five, top three team, if not preseason number one, uh, and clearly a ton returning, which we got into, a ton of expectations for all those returners and what's coming back. But 
Are there any areas of concern on paper for Michigan that other teams may try to take advantage of early in the season? Like, What are the big question marks, if any, for this team? I think the biggest one right now is number two, uh, the number two cornerback job. I mean, they, they've, they graduated and lost a lot of guys from last year's room. Uh, Will Johnson is a sophomore, a former five-star guy, and he's, he's as good as any cornerback in college football. I think when, when the time comes, he's probably going to be a top five, top ten, top fifteen pick, uh, in the NFL draft. But they just, there's not a lot, there's nothing proven around him. Uh, you have younger guys that can step into bigger roles, but, uh, you know, until you see it, you just can't, you can't check that off the list as, um, not a concern at this point. Uh, in other spots, I think backup quarterback, things could get a little shaky there if something happens with J.J. McCarthy. I mean, they just, you know, typically your backup is typically a guy where, um, you know, maybe he's not, it's not in the cards for him to play a ton this year, but he can, he's competing for your starting job down the line and maybe is your future starter. I don't see that on this year's team, so that would be a concern to me, but, you know, just about everywhere else, um, they're pretty deep. Wide receiver would be one where I don't know if they have a legit bona fide number one guy, but still have plenty of options there uh, as well. So, but right now it's it's backup quarterback and uh, number two cornerback, and I'll even throw special teams in there as well. They lost their kick, both their punter and their kicker were drafted last year. They're shuffling some things around there. They feel like they have good guys there, but the same deal with the cornerbacks. Uh, until you see those guys get into a game, you just don't know what you have there. He is Anthony Broom. Check out his work on On3 Sports, covering Michigan for the Wolverine.com. Anthony, appreciate your time on today's program. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That's Anthony Broom. Good to talk with a good friend of mine. And we'll get him again maybe down the road before the game on September 2nd. All right, we got Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Have you had a colonoscopy? If you're... Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We have a very special guest joining us on the live line. He is the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. He is Mike Oresco. Mike, welcome into the program. I'm sure you've got plenty on your plate these days with six new teams joining, which we'll get into, but how are things uh, your way? Well, thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, and hope all's well with you. Uh, yeah, it's a busy time. You know, we've got our annual meeting coming up next week, so there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. You know, we meet with various groups within the conference, athletic directors, coaches, presidents, everybody gets together. And, uh, you know, and obviously there's always a lot swirling around college athletics these days, as you alluded to. But, uh, you know, we'll, uh, yeah, things are going well. The conference had another great year, so, uh, no complaints from, from my end. Mike Oresco is with us, and I want to touch first on the, the statement you put out, a lengthy statement in early May, but I think a lot of great points for those that took the time to read it and, Listen, I think you've done an incredible job, Mike, of trying to fight this this battle of, you know, the Power Five versus whatever they call it, the Group of Five. And it's just – it's a shame it, it, it's happened this way. We had former ECU head coach Steve Logan on, and he said kind of the introduction of the BCS in the late 1990s. He could kind of see it go in this path. And I know you've been fighting this fight for a while. Uh, when you look at your, your statement, what type of reaction have you gotten to it? Do, do you feel like it kind of accomplished 
uh, the initial goals that you were hoping to? I know you've been fighting this battle a while. Well, you know, uh, well, first of all, I appreciate, uh, Stephen, you know, you, you bringing it up, bringing it up. Uh, the response has been really good. Uh, I've gotten uh, a terrific response from people within the college community supporting it. I even had some, some writers say, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think we, we really should start thinking about, you know, different, different nomenclature or, you know, this isn't really, uh, you know, something that makes sense anymore. Um, even had another commissioner, uh, you know, uh, call me and say, you know, I think this is, uh, you know, we ought to focus on our own conferences and whether we're powerful or we're elite or not. And, and, and the whole point of this, Stephen, was to, uh, address, I think, mainly the media. Although it would it would also apply to the college community, especially to the to the NCAA too, and and because the NCAA tends to make that distinction between P5 and G5, and 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 it's tied into the the whole business about autonomy, which I'm not going to get into. You know, it's more inside baseball, but those five conferences being able to create their own legislation, which they almost never do anymore anyway. But the point is, I was concerned that every time I was picking up the, uh, you know. Uh, the proverbial newspaper, which is now everything's online. But every time I'd see an article, you know, it would say, you know, the, the best quarterbacks in the P5 or the, the best uh, teams in the P5 or the best this. And, and, and everything was P5 related, you know, how realignment will affect the P5. Well, realignment's going to affect us a lot, uh, probably a lot more in some ways than than them. And I thought, you know, we're, we're being ignored unfairly. I and mean, we've got a great conference. And the P6 campaign, was designed obviously to to create you know uh, parity in, in people's minds with with the P5 to be part of that group ultimately, and you know it occurred to me that this whole thing with P5 and G5 has has just been very harmful and destructive, and we knew that, but you know we still we, we tried hard to uh, to you know to be a P6 because that was what you know was obviously you know important in, in college athletics. That's what the writers were focusing on. And, and that was how you would build up your, your, your prestige, you know, your, your, your reputation. But it, it occurred to me that now that we have the playoff at, at the top six conferences without, you know, without any preference for the, the so-called P5, now that we have a lot more going on, now that all this realignment has really changed the P5, so it's not really a P5 anymore, I thought now's the time to just get rid of the nomenclature, just let you get rid of it. Uh, we don't need it. And we're going to get rid of the G5 label officially. It's, it's there as part of the college football playoff. We have a separate revenue pool, but we're going to get rid of that name in the new, in the new agreement. So there won't be any official reference to group of five. There's no official reference to it in the NCAA, uh, legislative structure. So why not just get rid of it and, and let's, let's judge all FBS conferences equally and let's, uh, let's take a look at them in terms of whether they're they're powerful or whether they're elite. I mean, think about it, Stephen, how ridiculous it is to say, uh, you know, Tulane's a non-power school even after they just beat USC in the Cotton Bowl, right? When UConn won the national championship in our conference, we were, uh, they're a non-power team, a non-power conference. How ridiculous is that? And, and you know, a lot of, of teams that call themselves power teams and conferences that call themselves power conferences haven't achieved as much over the years, you know, as we have or often haven't achieved as much as we have. So it's just the kind of thing that it finally occurred to me that we just ought to get rid of it. And, uh, and, and you know, other terms you can use, you know, the 
the wealthier conferences, you know, the conferences that have more resources. Uh, there's a bunch of things you can do. But we're a major conference, and I was tired of, uh, you know, the, the denigration of our student-athletes in in subtle and obvious ways. So that, that was really what, what uh, prompted me to write the letter. And I wanted to be comprehensive. It wasn't an op-ed. You know, it was an open letter. So if you didn't want to read the whole thing, you didn't have to. But if you did, I think you would find a lot that, that you know, talked about this issue in, in detail and laid out a case that I started making back in March when I issued, you know, a brief statement saying I, I really, um, you know, had enough of this, this P5, G5 divide and, and uh, harmful nomenclature. Yeah, you've made the point just, you know, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, obviously going on to the Big 12 and all of a sudden just because of their conference affiliation, now they're viewed as that Power 5 school when clearly they've been the same power program in the American. It's just unfortunate. That's how it is. I guess, Mike, with with college athletics and the media surrounding it, and I deal with it, you know, working for 24-7 sports, you know, ECU often gets ignored in the Power 5 articles you referenced earlier, that sort of stuff, but it, 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 what is the way to overcome maybe the, the media just automatically saying Power 5, Group of 5? Is it just a matter of we're going to have to continue to hammer this thing until until they stop doing that? You know, I think you just hit it right on the head, Steve, and I think that's exactly right. You just keep hammering it home. You know, years ago, um, I, was, I worked at ESPN, and I remember uh, uh, mentioning to the president, Bill Grimes, that, that – a lot of people in those days, you know, didn't think too much of ESPN. These were the really early years. And they, you know, even friends of mine made fun of ESPN saying, well, you do tractor pulls and monster truck shows and things of that nature. And, and, you know, I said to him, you know, what, what do you think our strategy should be to, you know, to overcome that kind of thing? And he basically said, just keep plugging along and add better programming each year. So there's no magic way to do it. We just have to, and he was absolutely right. And that's exactly what happened. And ESPN became a worldwide juggernaut. You know, it's it's upward mobility. It's not where you start. It's what you become. And you hit it right on the head. We just have to hammer it home. I mean, we've got uh, people in my communications department now calling the media when they use P5 gratuitously or, or needlessly or, you know, unfairly, or when they ignore us, when they should be talking about us. Uh, you mentioned uh, East Carolina. It's a tremendous school and program. Uh, it programs, uh, you know, in football, it's like it, it has kind of an SEC following. I've always said that. You know, I go back a long way with with East Carolina in football and in basketball. They've done very well. I mean, your women won our, our championship. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of great Olympic sports. You go, you're you're a major university and you're important to the state of North Carolina. And yet you don't get the kind of coverage, you know, you deserve. We've had a great conference. I, I remember one writer saying to call, you know, the American, uh, you know, a mid-major is like calling Gonzaga a mid-major. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. You know, we're, we're, we play at the highest level. We've been on New Year's Day eight out of ten years. You know, that's all in the letter. We've, um, you know, we've been on ABC for our championship game eight straight years ever since we, we started it. You know, we uh, are right there, and we've achieved. The other thing about P5, uh, you know, Stephen, it, I was trying to attack the competitive aspect of it. You know, it, that's why the word power, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, the autonomy five. Call them the autonomy five. I don't care. That's, uh, you know, that's their ability to, to pass certain kinds of legislation. It's limited, and they don't do it much anymore at all. But they have that ability, and we'd like to be in that group, fine, but, 
but that's not, you know, the, the word power, which indicates somehow they're, they're powerful when maybe they're not, uh, you know, or they're no more powerful than we are. They're no more elite than, than we are. And sure, we're a different conference. I, I, I have always said that. I mean, we're not, we don't have, for the most part, flagship state institutions, but we've had great schools, great programs, important schools, big schools. We've got smaller schools that have achieved at a high level. And you made the point, uh, you know, you, you echoed what I said in my letter. Just because you sign a piece of paper, you're suddenly a power five school. I mean, how absurd is that? You know, all these years in our conference, you were achieving at a high level, but you were, you were a G5. You weren't, you weren't a poor school. Now all of a sudden you sign a piece of paper and you are. It's absurd. And there's a lot of absurdity tied into this, this power five. I don't know where the term came from, but you know, I think you just have to continue to attack it and, uh, and maybe you'll start seeing some writers not use it or think of other terms to describe different conferences or how about just talking about FBS conferences? What's are the top quarterbacks in the FBS? Okay. It's a division and there are 10 schools. It's, it's there are 10 uh, conferences. Excuse me. Is it that hard to, uh, to, uh, to focus on, on, uh, you know, the achievements of, of 10 uh, conferences and maybe some of those conferences don't deserve to be focused on. That's fine. That's fine. Then, then just focus on the ones that do. But if we're one of the ones that do deserve it, we should get it. And that's one of the things I've just tried to point out. And it's a, it's a battle. It's an uphill battle. I don't have any illusions about that. I mean, I, I know it's not going to change overnight. It may not change at all, but you have to try and you have to fight for your conference. You have to fight for your student athletes who are, are great kids and, and they're great kids in all respects. But we have a great record of academic achievement in this conference. We've had good compliance and we've had a lot of good things about, about our student athletes aside from what they do on the field. Uh, in court, and, and they deserve uh, the accolades, and they don't deserve to be treated like second-class citizens. We're visiting with American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco, and Mike, obviously the, the the conference expansion wheel never stops turning, and there's all sorts of rumors now about the ACC, and we'll see what happens there. There's also been rumors of even the Pac-12 looking at schools like SMU and Tulane. I know maybe you don't get too much into the rumors, but uh, how much are conversations ongoing just behind the scenes between you and your colleagues, trying trying to figure out what's real, what's not, and you know I'm sure you always have to have a you know a fallback plan in case something happens with you know more of your teams in the American, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Stephen. We we do have a fallback plan, but we don't spend a lot of time uh, speculating on, on what might happen. I mean, it's pretty evident that that something could happen, you know, this summer. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of an irony. Uh, this is probably one of the more dysfunctional periods I've ever seen in college athletics. And you saw the ACC, you know, stuff this week, and that wasn't really a great look. Uh, you've seen what's going on with, with the Pac-12 right now and, and the whole issue uh, with the Big 12, Pac-12, and all of that. You've seen now some issues with, with the Big Ten that just surfaced. I mean, it's it's – when you chase the last dollar, which everybody seems to have done for a long time now, you're going to have conferences that geographically don't make a lot of sense, that in terms of culture don't necessarily make a lot of sense. You're going to have a lot of strange things. But there's a pattern to this dysfunction, and the pattern is that there's consolidation. And consolidation is kind of a fact of life that's been going on throughout history in all sorts of areas, right? And that's what we've had. You know, in the old days, you had a series, a group of regional conferences, and I really like that setup. I grew up in it, you know, with, with my day, from my days at ESPN dealing with the CFA. And the Western Athletic Conference wasn't viewed radically differently than the SEC or the, uh, the Big Ten or the Big East or the, uh, ACC. 
you know, and, and the Pac-12 and the others were all viewed as, you know, kind of equal in the sense that they, they all had something to contribute to college uh, football. This was the CFA. And then college basketball, you had a wide range of conferences that all competed at a pretty nice level. And, and so it's changed. You, you started to get consolidation. You know, conferences took teams based on how, how they could augment their TV revenue, how they could augment their overall revenue. And, you know, commissioners and, and, and leagues are often judged just by how much revenue they're bringing in, how much revenue per team, how much total revenue. And if that's all that matters, then we're lost. I mean, it's all over. We're, we're not going to have the kind of college sports that people, you know, enjoy. Now, are people still going to watch the games? You know, you've had that uh, very unusual move of UCLA, UCLA and USC to the, the, the Big Ten. Okay, it, it, it does. Yeah, I think we crossed the Rubicon with that one because, you know, the Pac-12 was a pretty stable conference for, for you know, a century. And uh, it's sort of like Maryland, I guess, going from the ACC to the Big Ten. But geographically, this was a huge, profound change. And, you know, it... It's, you can't argue that it's, it's good or bad. You know, you don't, you have to see how it plays out, but are people going to watch USC, Ohio State when they play in football? Sure they are. Are they going to watch Michigan, uh, UCLA or Michigan, USC? Of course they are. They, they will. Um, <clears throat> will as many watch? I don't know. Will people get tired of what, what is becoming the professionalization of, of college sports, uh, which is, is part of the consolidation, you know, when, when money is the seemingly, you know, the primary objective. And, and that's, that, that's what's happening, and it's it's affecting us because we're kind of we're in the upper class, but we're in the upper middle class, and so consequently, you know, we we do get you know picked off from time to time, uh, and and we're a victim of our own success. You know, we we've built up our programs, our teams are doing great, and so they are attractive to these other schools. But um, you know, we're a perfect example of a conference that was a little geographically disparate, as you know. Um, but now we're probably less geographically disparate than, than Big Ten, than some of the other conferences that are stretching, you know, virtually across the country. This notion of, of national conferences, it's, it's almost like these aren't conferences anymore. They're associations. You know, they're almost like the, you know, the divisions in the NFL. And that's what, what college sports is becoming. Now, again, if you just enjoy the games and you don't really care about that, you don't really care about players being bought. You know, uh, with, with NIL money and, you know, you know, not necessarily going to the school they necessarily wanted to go to because they want the money. If you're fine with that, then you're fine with it. Uh, I just don't think it's necessarily college sports as, as we, you know, as we, as, as we remember it or as what it should really be. Um, and that's, you know, I guess if you have views like that, you're, you're considered, uh, you know, old fashioned. I, I, I can accept NIL, but this isn't NIL. This is not name, image, and likeness. This is just buying players and uh, figuring out ways to buy players and to retain players. And and that's you know that's not what it was meant to be. Mike Oresco is with us. A couple more questions for you, Mike, and then we'll get you out of here. And six new teams joining the American this summer: Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA. Of course, with the returning teams in the league. What's the biggest challenge adding six teams uh, in basically, you know, one one summer? I know you guys have had a few years to work on this, but, you know, indoctrinating all those teams at one time. Uh, and then how firm are your beliefs that the American, even with the loss of, of Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, will remain, you know, high up in the pecking order in college athletics like they currently have been, getting teams to major bowls and now potentially to the 12-team playoff? Well, I think those are great questions. I think – 
first of all, I think the transition's been, you know, pretty seamless. The schools that came in, we picked them because we thought they had that commitment. And, you know, our DNA is competitiveness, uh, and it's investing and trying to be absolutely at the top tier. But we don't want schools in our conference that aren't striving for that. Um, we could have gone the other way and just settled for a secondary status, Stephen, but we decided that it just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense for our student-athletes. We had the ability. If I were commissioner of certain other conferences, maybe I couldn't do that because they just don't have the resources. They just don't have the ability to develop the resources. Our schools do. And because they do, we, we insist that, that, you know, they, they have that ability that they use it. And the schools coming in have that commitment. I'm convinced they do. That's why we took them. They're in great areas. They, they have good backgrounds already in terms of, of success and recruiting. I think they're gonna, they're gonna do great in our conference. And, you know, that, that leads to your second question. Will we maintain, um, our position at the top tier? Uh, and I think we will. Uh, I don't think there's any question. You look at ETSA's football program coming in. You look at FAU and, and hiring Tom Herman. Uh, you look at the success UAB's had North Texas, uh, you know, and, and you look at Rice investing now and having a great coach and doing well. Uh, and you look at the potential that Charlotte has. It's, it's a, it's a sleeper. They've got tremendous potential there. Um, and they want to win. They want to be relevant. And then you look at basketball, and that it surprised us that, that the schools coming in have done so well in basketball. I mean, FAU came out of nowhere, uh, even though they had been building that program under Dusty May. So I think they're going to do fine. And one last thing, and this is not in any way to denigrate Houston, Cincinnati, or UCF. I mean, they made a great contribution to our conference, and they, they invested. They did the things. You know, you had the great UCF um, 25-game winning streak. Houston's had success, although Houston, well, what I'm getting at is in Cincinnati had, had great success, and we're really proud that they made the playoff against all odds. Um, and in those three schools, what they do will always be a legacy for our conference. What Kelvin Sampson did at Houston in basketball, and he's one of the, the great people. And, but if you look at, at our league, we've had a lot of competitive teams. And we've had, you know, Tulane and Memphis have made, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the New Year's Day game. Uh, UCF was 0 15 in 2015. If, if expansion had taken place then, they probably wouldn't have even been in, in the Big 12. And yet, look what they did. And, and Houston has not, you know, has not won our championship in, until since, since 2015. But they've been a good program, but so has, has Memphis. You know, Tulsa was in our championship game recently. SMU's had four or five really good seasons now. Sonny Dykes built the program, and Rhett Lashley, I, I'm firmly convinced, is going to continue the success. And then you look at, uh, at Tulane and what they've done under Willie Fritz, and you look at what USF had some good years under Willie Taggart. They were right there. They played some great games against UCF and, and others and uh, came close to winning a championship. Temple was in our championship game against Houston in 2015. They won it in 2016. So these schools have all had success, and the schools leaving have not always been our best schools. For many years, Cincinnati was not one of our top schools, and then uh, Luke Fickle came in and, and rebuilt that program and did great. But you know, we've got really good incumbents left in the conference, and the, the schools joining have a real incentive to, uh, you know, to absorb our DNA. <clears throat> and, and that DNA is to be highly competitive, to compete. Now, there's some things that we're going to have to deal with that are different. And we built our conference and had this magnificent success, and it has really been terrific. I don't think it's ever been celebrated as much as it should have been by the media because this conference has achieved things that no one thought. Ten years ago, we'd have any chance of achieving. I mean, I'll give you an example. Memphis and uh, 
remember Memphis, Memphis and SMU played on a, on primetime on ABC and game day went to Memphis uh, back a few years ago. No one would have dreamed a few years prior to that 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 would have happened. And, and those schools built their programs and did a great job. And now it's a question of you've got to deal with the transfer portal where you have no year in residency, and that's a huge, huge issue. And you have NIL. It's a perfect storm. <clears throat> and so can we maintain, you know, the teams we've had? Can we keep our great players? Uh, can we, you know, do what we've done before? I hope we can. And, uh, you know, I think we have to build cultures where kids want to stay at our schools. We have to continue to fight for the, you know, the, the idea that we're a power conference. Forget about the, the nomenclature that we're an elite conference because that, that's part of the deal. You know, branding matters and branding has, has, has you know, been an issue for us. And it could be a larger issue now when you have no year in residency and we build and we, we recruit kids who are, you know, maybe one, two, three star kids in football and then basketball. And we build, uh, you know, we, we build a foundation and we, we help them achieve and they become, you know, great players. And are they just going to decide to leave because they're being paid more or, or they just feel that, uh, you know, uh, you know, they, they can go to a, I guess what the, you might consider a bigger stage. I think our stage is pretty big. You know, we were on ABC, we're on ESPN, we're on ESPN2, ESPNU, we've got ESPN Plus. You know, we've got a great uh, network behind us. We have CBS also doing some of our basketball. So, you know, we have everything in place here, but there's there's still going to be a challenge now because of the new rules in college sports, and we just have to adapt to it. Mike Oresco, last thing for you. When you look at East Carolina's place in the American, and you know, it's kind of an interesting fit in terms of most of the, the teams in the league are in major markets. ECU kind of more, like you mentioned earlier, an SEC field, big emphatic fan base, but maybe not the biggest market on paper, but you got alumni stretching into Charlotte, Raleigh, uh, up into Virginia, D.C., etc. But ECU, it seems like athletically they're in as stable a spot as they've been in in years with John Gilbert, Mike Houston in football. Mike Schwartz had a solid first year in, in basketball. The baseball team obviously humming at a high level. When you look at ECU's importance to this league, especially with some of the other uh, teams you referenced moving on, you know, how important is ECU finding some, you know, consistent success, specifically in football, uh, key to the American? Uh, extremely important, Stephen, extremely important. And it's interesting because in 2014 with Shane Carden and, and the team that Robin McNeil had, they were probably as talented a football team as we had in our conference. And, and they didn't even win the, the division, uh, but they were good. They were a good team. And, uh, then they, they kind of fell off the radar in, in all, all their sports. And, uh, the conference thrived even when, when East Carolina wasn't, you know, doing what, what we thought they would do. Now they're back. There's no question about that. Uh, and, you know, when you look at what John Gilbert, the athletic director has done, I mean, Mike Houston is, is a great coach, obviously. Uh, you know, you've got, um, you know, a, a team that, that is going to compete, you know, continually now, I think, you know, at the highest level. Michael Schwartz has done a great job in basketball, and it's a tough place for basketball, obviously. Not an easy place to recruit. Doesn't have the basketball tradition that you have in football, but he's done a great job. Kim McNeil on the women's side, they won the championship. I think they were picked maybe to finish close to the bottom, and they ended up winning the championship. You know, and the baseball, he's got a great baseball program, and you know, it's it's the greatest baseball program that hasn't made the College World Series, and it's come close. It was agonizing a few years ago, or last year, not to not to make it, and a few years ago against Texas Tech. 
uh, Cliff, you know, Cliff Godwin has done a great job there. And, uh, you know, in fact, he played today. I guess they're playing, uh, uh, USF, I think. And then number one seed, yeah. and they've been ranked, uh, nationally, the number 11 nationally. It's a great program, great, great stadium, great everything. So East Carolina has everything that, that our conference would want. And, you know, again, the, the football team, football has tended to drive the perception, as you know, Stephen. Fair or not, you know, uh, basketball is important to us, and we've had great basketball over the years. And we we've been to the Final Four, we won a national championship, we've been to the Elite Eight, we've been to the Sweet Sixteen. We've had heartbreaking losses with UCF and Duke and and, and Cincinnati uh, and other others. Uh, Houston's had a heartbreaker with with Michigan and others, but we've done really well there too. But you know, football drives it, and uh, Mike Houston has, has rebuilt the program. Uh, obviously, the team will miss Keaton Mitchell. He was a lot of fun to watch. What a great player! And and uh, Holt Nailers, who you know, obviously seems like he's been there forever because he's just been so so steady and good for a long time. Um, and and yet, you've still got all the, the you know all the things in place to be to be a you know a top presence in the conference. And I, and, and so, speaking to the importance, there's no question that this pro you know pro, these programs at East Carolina. Are critical now, especially as we do lose some prominent teams like UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati. You know, Steve Ballard helped build our league. Uh, have fond memories of what Steve did for us. Uh, and, and again, John Gilbert, who's our finance chair, Carolyn Bevelards, our, our SWA chair. Um, they are really uh, excellent administrators, and they built really a fine program there. So I, I think going forward, uh, really pleased with what's happening. It, it, you know, there was a drought there, but it's it's gone now, and uh, they'll be really important as we move forward. He is Commissioner Mike Oresco from the American Athletic Conference. Mike, uh, appreciate your time, and just want to say, you know, even as a media member who covers ECU, you do a great job representing the conference. I think it's you know no coincidence the conference has reached great heights with you in charge. I think you do a great job uh, sending your message out there, trying to, to fight the good fight, as I say, with this Power Five stuff, and hopefully we can put that label behind uh behind us in college athletics. But appreciate your time on today's program. Well, thank you, Stephen. You know, I, I don't play a single down or shoot a single basket. I try to give voice to the achievements of our, our terrific student-athletes. And, uh, you know, our administrators are the ones that are doing a great job at the various schools. And it's our job to try to, to run a good conference and to promote them and to make sure that they, uh, you know, they get the attention they deserve. But uh, thanks again for having me. Always appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, welcome back into Hoist the Colors. Got only about a minute left, so we're going to wrap this thing up quick. Thanks again to Mike Resco. Great interview from earlier in the week. Also, thanks to Anthony Broom from TheWolverine.com. Tomorrow, we've got Amanda Moore, EC Women's Across Coach in studio. So we'll talk to her about what to expect in the future and how much her program has grown in her short time in Greenville. All right, this was fun. We'll be back tomorrow at 12 noon on Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.